Um, so I want to speak about joy, but I want to start by asking, have you ever had something stolen from you? Ever had any possessions stolen from you, things taken from you? I remember a number of years ago, before Laura and I lived in Hells Owen, we lived in a dangerous place called Dudley, and um, where we lived, um, our house was broken into, and it wasn't just broken into by anybody, it was broken into by our neighbour who lived six doors down from us, like, brilliant, wasn't it? Cheers, mate. Way to be a good neighbour. And we got home from a, a, a Christian festival. We got home. I uh, took the first load of stuff into the living room and glanced at my PlayStation because I was longing to play more PlayStation. Glanced at it and it wasn't there. And I was like, that's weird. I don't remember moving my PlayStation. And suddenly it began to dawn on me that we'd been broken into. And I dashed through the house and I could see things that weren't, that should be there that weren't there. And then I, I discovered at the back door where they managed to get their way in. And it was awful. It was horrible. Like, I began to lose my head a little bit. I was getting really angry. I was frustrated. I was upset. Like, Laura genuinely had to calm me down for a little bit. Because somebody had come into my safe space and had taken things from me. And, you know, I really believe that in this world, we encounter things where things come into our safe space and rob us of joy. I really see it in your generation. I see so many teenagers who are robbed of joy. And I am really passionate about joy. I want my life to be full of joy. And it gets me angry when I see people who are robbed of joy. And Jesus talked about it a little bit. He said this in John 10, verse 10. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what my neighbor did. He came only to steal. And well, yeah, he didn't, hopefully he didn't come to kill because that would be. But he genuinely, he came to destroy because all over our like computer desk, he poured bleach. He poured bleach all over our computer desk, right? And he stole, he stole my hard drive, which contained the footage from our wedding. Like, geezer was, I was ready to knock that geezer out just for pouring the bleach over. We managed to, to get our wedding footage uh, back. I had the original tapes, and I still not made Laura a wedding video ten year, nearly 10 years on. I still not edited our wedding video. And, but Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And it's a little bit random that he might say this. But then he goes on to say, he says in the next bit, he says, I have come. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying... The thief comes to do this, but I have come to do this. Like Jesus takes this moment to differentiate, differentiate himself from he is not a thief. He is somebody different. And, you know, um, the reason that I think he makes that point is I think sometimes we think that God or Jesus might want to rob us of our joy. Sometimes we think that Jesus is coming to steal our fun, to kill our happiness, to destroy our friendships and our hobbies. Maybe you might think that Jesus wants to rob all your money, that Jesus wants to rob you of going out with that girl or boy that you've been longing to go out with. It's, do you know what? Sometimes we are tempted to think that Jesus wants to take something away from us. But actually, Jesus is saying that there's an enemy who wants to rob you of that stuff. That he's saying the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And like I said, it makes me angry. You know, things like anxiety make me angry. Not P 
people with anxiety, but anxiety in itself makes me angry. And there's a verse where Jesus talks about worry and he says, don't, don't worry. And he talks about loads of this kind of stuff. And you could be forgiven for thinking that Jesus is getting angry with people for worrying. But he's not getting angry with people who worry. He's getting angry with worry itself. And, you know, you can understand it when you look at the dictionary definition of worry. The definition of worry is to torment yourself with disturbing thoughts. Like, that is what we do when we worry. We torment ourselves with disturbing thoughts. And that, the whole idea of worry and anxiety and things that rob us of joy gets Jesus angry. He's not angry with you. He's angry with the things that rob you of. But Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, next bit, that they may have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus didn't come to take away. He came to give us something. He came to give us life in all its fullness. And the bottom line of what I want you to take away from uh, tonight, the thing I want you to understand is that life is to be enjoyed, not just endured. Life is to be enjoyed, not just endured. You know, joy is a gift from God. And, and that whole life to the full that Jesus came to give us is about having a life filled with joy. You can't enjoy without the word joy. And, you know, there may well be seasons in life where you do have to endure, where you do have to just get through what is going on, where you do just have to push through and go, do you know what? This season in my life is really, really tough right now. I am enduring, but I'm going to endure and I'm going to enjoy and I'm going to have joy in this season. Let me explain what joy is and what joy isn't. Joy isn't pretending that everything is okay. Joy isn't wandering around with rose-tinted spectacles on, thinking, do you know what? Yeah, my house has fallen down and my life has fallen apart, but everything's okay. I'm all right. Life is not, uh, joy is not about pretending that everything is okay. Joy isn't being happy all of the time. Like, joy isn't about walking around with a massive smirk on your face going, oh, life's amazing. <laughs> like, that is not what joy is. You know, joy isn't something that you can just manufacture. Joy isn't something that you can just pretend to have. Joy is joy is a feeling and an emotion. You can definitely feel joy. You see, love is a feeling and a choice. But joy is an emotion and a feeling. But joy goes much, much deeper. You see, uh, somebody said happiness is an inch deep and a mile wide, whereas joy is a mile deep and a mile wide. You see, joy goes much, much deeper than happiness. Joy is something that is deep within us. And some people, it's so deep that you can't even see it and they need to tell their face that they've got joy. But, you know, joy, joy doesn't equal happiness. Joy is much, much deeper than happiness. And joy is, is something that you can grow and can be given to you. The Bible talks about it. Uh, Paul, who's one of the um, kind of people who, who follows Jesus, uh, years and years after Jesus uh, goes back up to heaven. He, he talks about spiritual gifts. And if you are following Jesus and, and you've got the Holy Spirit in you, these things sh should come out of your life. And he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, and all those other things. See, it's a spiritual gift that is given to us. And God spoke to me a number of years ago um, before I was married about joy. And it happened in Barcelona. I was away with some friends. We were there to explore the city um, and just hang out with, with friends. And um, we walked to see the Gaudi Gardens. Has any, anyone ever been to Barcelona? 
Have you been to the Gaudi Gardens? You should go. They're really good. If none of you have ever been to Barcelona, you should go. It's a great city. And it, we walked up this massive hill. It felt like it took forever. I was shattered when I got to the top of it. But we got to see the Gaudi Gardens. Gaudi created these in, in, incredible gardens and, and creations and buildings. And it's amazing uh, when you get to go and, and see all of that. And then um, there's this big like square at the top of the hill that you can go and hang out. And where we, we got there and we were hanging out. We, you can see right over the city of Barcelona and it was amazing and it was a great view. And there was these uh, street performers uh, doing some stuff and I, I just found myself stopping and I watched this lady who was making these big bubbles with, with uh, two sticks and, and some string like this. Um, this is the actual picture. Um, so I took this picture about 10 years ago and um, she's, she's, doing, she's doing these massive big bubbles um, on top of this hill and, and loads of people were crowding around watching in a big circle and uh, after about five minutes of watching this little about three or four year old boy began to, to like toddle his way into the middle of the circle and he was captivated by these bubbles he was absolutely loving it and what was interesting is he was going up and he was popping the bubbles and the bubbles were like getting them wet and he loved it, was giggling and everyone in, the, everyone in the crowd was like reacting. And all of a sudden, everyone's attention had gone from this woman who was making the bubbles to this little boy. And every reaction that this little boy did, the crowd reacted. And everybody was like laughing and smiling with this little boy. And this little boy was bringing joy to the entire crowd. And I was loving it and I was smiling and going, oh, isn't he cute and all that kind of stuff. And it just in that moment felt God say to me, Andy, this is how I enjoy your life. And I was like, what? And God said, Andy, the way you're getting joy out of this little boy right now is how I get joy out of you. And do you know what? That really spoke to me and that spoke to me for a long, long time. You know, the Bible says that God takes great delight in who we are. God delights in each and every one of us. And whenever I feel like, man, I'm just letting God down and oh, I'm such a disappointment to God, which I do feel at times, I remind myself of that time when I was in a, on a top of a hill in Barcelona and God said, I delight in you like a little boy. You see, God takes joy in each and every one of us and God wants us to have joy. You see, life is to be enjoyed, not just endured. But the tension is, is that we all want to feel joy and we all want to enjoy stuff. But the reality is we don't always feel that way. And I want to show you a clip from a film that I think you'll relate to. It's from a film, Inside Out. And uh, the, the whole film is set in a little girl's head. And uh, it's got the five key emotions. And you're going to see a conversation between joy, uh, one of the emotions and one of the characters, and sadness. This has definitely gone on in my brain. And I think you might relate to it. Let's have a look at that clip, Hannah. Life can feel like... You're battling between joy and sadness, and they're, they're, they're pulling you in two separate directions. I love what sadness says there. Crying helps me slow down and focus on the weight of life's problems. <laughs> like, I think some of you are like, yep, that's how I feel sometimes. And do you know, I, I love joy on that character because it, it's so funny because she's just trying to ignore everything that sadness does. And that's not what joy is about. Joy isn't just ignoring sadness and drawing a little circle around sadness and saying, you 
you can't leave this circle. My life is all about joy. But I do think that you can grow and cultivate joy in your life. And I want to give five points on how you can grow joy in your life. The first point is that you can wallow well. Did you know that hippos wallow? The reason that hippos wallow in water and they wallow in mud is because they don't have sweat glands. So therefore, they don't have a, have a way of cooling down. So what they do is when they're too hot, when they're feeling uncomfortable, they go and they wallow themselves. I, I don't know why I did a little wiggle. Uh, they wiggle and wallow. Um, and they wallow in mud to try and cool themselves down. And they sit in mud and they wallow to make themselves feel better. And you know, it says in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. It goes on to say there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Do you know what? If you are not in a good place, it's okay to not be okay. You can cultivate joy by by um, by acknowledging your emotions, by acknowledge, acknowledging what is going on in your life. Do you know, it is okay to be upset. It's okay to not be right. You know, the Bible says the shortest verse in the entire Bible is when Jesus discovers that his, one of his best mates has died. And the shortest verse says Jesus wept. It doesn't say Jesus shed a little tear or Jesus felt a little bit under the weather, or Jesus felt a little bit sad, or just crying emoji. Like, it said Jesus wept. Jesus took a moment to wallow in his emotions. He took a moment to acknowledge, I am not okay in this moment, and I am just going to weep. And there are moments where we just need to acknowledge what is going on in our lives, acknowledge that we are struggling, acknowledging that things are rubbish at the moment, acknowledging that I miss that person and I am grieving and I am not okay. We need to do that in our lives. We need to grieve well and we need to wallow well. You know, in Psalm 94, it says this, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I'm going to read that again. When anxiety, when worry, when things that were robbing me of joy was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. You know, God wants to meet us in our dark places. God wants to meet us when we feel robbed of joy, when we don't feel good. God wants to rob us of joy. But you can have joy in your lowest moments. You know, some of the most joyous occasions I've ever been to have been funerals of people who are Christians because they, their family know where they're going. One of the most joyous occasions I've been to uh, was my own granddad's funeral and there was, there was hundreds of people there and we worshipped and we thanked God for my granddad's life because we knew where my granddad was going. And you know, I heard somebody talk about um, grief a little while ago and they said, imagine that your grief is like a ball and uh, your life is like a little jar and the ball won't fit in the jar and when we initially feel grief, it can feel like our our life is too small to take this grief, and that we we you know we we want we don't want to just not grieve, and we don't want to just make less of our grief. We need to grieve, but we feel like our life can't handle the grief, and the ball won't fit in the jar. But what happens over time is not that our grief gets any smaller, but our lives get bigger. And the container of our lives can contain the grief and carry the grief in a better way. 
You know, there is a season for you to wallow. There is absolutely a time where you cannot be okay. But you are not called to not be okay for your entire life. We're called for our lives to get bigger. We're called for our lives to, to grow. You see, we're not just, life is for enjoying, not just to endure. You know, what, what Sadness says in that clip, that the crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. That is not a healthy way place to be in. That is not a healthy thing. You can wallow well, and wallowing well means acknowledging our feelings, acknowledging our emotions, acknowledging what is going on, but not staying there forever. A hippo won't wallow forever. Hippo time is all right for a while. The second thing is that you need to change your perspective. Now, I talk about changing our perspective quite a lot, and and you know, I think sometimes in life we can we can focus on the giant, we can focus on the problem rather than what is going on. You see the story of David and Goliath, where David takes out a giant. You know, um, thousands of the Israelite army they looked at a giant and thought, "There's no way I can win." Whereas David, this little boy, he came up and he seen a giant and he thought, "There's no way I can miss," and he looked at the situation in a different way. There's another story where the Israelite army find themselves surrounded and they, they're like definitely going to get defeated by this army. And it says in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, it's a, it's a guy called Elisha who's in charge at this point. And it says, when the servant of the man of God, Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, change his perspective, Lord, so that he might see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, God opened his eyes to see what was really going on. Is that they were surrounded by an army, but, but then they were surrounded by a bigger army, which was God's army. You see, sometimes we need to change our perspective. And this isn't pretending that everything is okay. This isn't going, oh, life is all right. And, you know, I'm just going to look at it from another angle. Sometimes things that we face, no matter what angle that we look at them from, it is rubbish. And it is terrible and it is falling apart no matter what angle we come at it from. But we've got to find a way to be thankful. Find a way to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness in your heart no matter the situations that you're in. Find a way to have joy in the midst of what is really, really tough. About three years ago, um, the auditorium in Hells Owen burnt down and it was, it was a pretty awful time finding out that, that we had no church, we had no church building, like what on earth were we going to do? And uh, for two weeks, like my job changed from being youth pastor to running around and fixing problems and painting walls and finding chairs and doing all this kind of stuff. And it was a manic two weeks. And there was moments where we as a staff team did not know what to do. And it was a huge problem. But Leon led us brilliantly in that season. And uh, what Leon got us to do is every morning we would meet as an entire staff team at nine o'clock in the boardroom. And we would meet together and we would pray. We would go through what needed to be done that day, what, what we hadn't done yet, what we were missing, all those kind of things. But we would start that meeting by going around the circle and saying what we were thankful for. 
And, you know, we were in the middle of one of the worst moments of our church's history. But we cultivated an attitude of thankfulness. And sometimes all we could be thankful for was that the weather was good. Or that someone came and bought us a Starbucks. That literally happened. Like, we, could, we just found a way to be thankful in the midst of chaos. Maybe you need to change your perspective. Maybe you need to write a list of things that you are thankful for. Maybe finding ways to get up every morning and go, I don't want to go to school today. But God, I'm thankful for this. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for this. And it might just be small things, but finding a way to, to grow an attitude of thankfulness in your heart. The third point is be yourself. You know, God created you to be you. When I was 18, I did a gap year with Youth for Christ. And uh, I went into that gap year. I was a young leader in my church growing up. I, you know, I did loads of stuff. I was dead confident going into it. And I genuinely thought I was going to solve all of Youth for Christ's problems. Like, that's the kind of arrogance I had when I was 18. And um, about, about four or five months into the gap year, um, I began to have these niggling doubts about what people thought about me. And I genuinely, in about February or March time of that gap year, I genuinely began to think that everybody thought I was an idiot. And everybody thought, who is this loud, gobby scouser coming down south and telling us what to do? And I genuinely, like, really struggled with feelings of nobody likes me, no one wants me around. Like, I went through about two months of believing this about myself. And we went to our mid-year retreat, and at our mid-year retreat, I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in anything. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and keep my hands in my pockets. I'm going to stay out of it. I'm just going to talk to one or two people. But I'm not, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to be you know, loud and gobby and all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to be quiet and fly under the radar. And uh, one of the nights, uh, I felt like God really spoke to me about something and just went and responded and asked for prayer and asked somebody to pray for me. And this guy came and prayed for me, prayed for me. And then he said, Andy, God's asking you to be you. I was like, all right, I can be Andy. And he said, God, God wants to use you in a way that he's not using anybody else in Youth for Christ at the moment. And God said, he's called you to be you in this season, so don't hold back from being you. And do you know, those feelings of inadequacy come up in me regularly. Like if I was to say there's a, like a recurring thing that comes up, that comes up for me quite a lot. I come away from meetings where people don't know me and I go, people must just think I'm an idiot. I go to meetings and, I, and I'm gobby. And I, but you know what? I fight that battle and I remind myself, God called me to be me. I love what Lauren Walters said at the Youth Weekender in her pre-worship talk. She said, you'll never be comfortable wearing somebody else's clothes. You'll never be comfortable pretending to be somebody that you're not. You know, you were created to be you. Psalm 139 said this, you created, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Like, I love that phrase, you knit me together. Because when you think about knitting, it takes time. It takes time and effort. God could like snap his fingers and make us. Like God could lift his flag and make us. Like God could make us in a second. But it says he knit us together. He chose to make time over me and you. Like he chose carefully the bits of our character, the bits of our personality. 
You will have joy when you be yourself, when you live out who God called you to be. You know, on social media, don't play the comparison game. Don't compare yourself to everybody else. Don't go, oh, I wish I was like them and I wish I had everything sorted like them. Because the reality is, everyone on social media is as messed up as me and you. And we just put on our, on, on our Instagrams and our Snapchats and our social media stuff, we put our highlights up, not the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, we cannot compare ourselves. I can't try and be like John. John was called to be like John, and I'm called to be like me, and I'm going to be the best Andy Hancock that I can be. In fact, I'm the best Andy Hancock that you know because I was called to be me, and I'm the best at being me. And you are the best version of you. You will cultivate joy in your life when you are yourself. Point number four, before we move on to point number four, um, maybe you need to write a list of things that God likes about you. We had a prayer room, uh, a question in the prayer room at Hub um, a couple of weeks ago. And the question was, what does God love about you? And it was amazing, the team that were in there got to speak over each and every young person that came in. God loves this about you, and God loves that. And young people got like began to go, oh, I thought God would just be annoyed with me. And we're like, no, God loves this about you. Like maybe in your own time, in your room, maybe stick, stick a Christian song on, a worship song, and, and write a list and go, God, God, what do you love about me? Or if you, if you feel like you can't hear God in that, maybe ask some, some of your friends, what, what do you love about me? Some of your friends that you really trust. What, what, are the, what are the things that you love about me? Sometimes I need to be reminded that God loves my sense of humor and God loves that I'm a loud, gobby scouser who likes to boss people around. And I, I, and I need to stand in that and go, God created me to be me and I'm going to have joy in who I was created to be. Point number four is find the fun. It's so important in life that we find the fun. On the Next Gen team um, and on the Equip team, we work really hard, okay? I work these guys really hard, and I want to work really hard as well. But we have a philosophy in our, ho- uh, in our house, in our office. It feels like a house sometimes we're there that much. Um, in our office, we have a philosophy that we work hard, but we play hard as well. And one of the things, if you follow us, any of us on social media, you will see that we like to jump out on each other. And it... Uh, I asked the team to send me their videos of what we'd recorded, and I sent them all to Ethan, um, and Ethan has put together a montage of us jumping out on each other. Have a look at this. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I love Hannah Chilton's idiot. (laughs) You know, we, we work hard to find the fun, all right? And I think in life, life is to be enjoyed, not just enjoyed, and we have got to look for the fun moments. Laughter is literally good for your soul. It is good to laugh. Find mates that you can have a laugh with. Find mates who you can cry laughing with. Find ways to find the fun. You know, don't take your don't take life or yourself too seriously. Proverbs 15 says a happy heart makes the face cheerful. In Proverbs 17 it says a cheerful heart is good medicine. And, you know, I really believe you can find the fun in life's hardest moments. You know, my family are really good at this. Um, when, a, when my granddad passed away a number of years ago, um, my family are brilliant at, at, um, at wallowing well, but also finding the fun in the right moments. And I think that's something that my granddad taught us um, as a family. And when, when he passed away, there was moments where we were all crying, where we were all devastated. 
And then someone would say something and we'd all be giggling and we would be reminded of the fun thing that my granddad did. You know, in the, in the, in the lowest moments, we can find the fun. I really think that we need to find moments to just be silly, to have a laugh, to let go of ourselves, to not take ourselves too seriously, but find the fun. The fifth thing, and this is where we're going to respond. Um, so, Band, if you want to come up. The fifth point is this, accept it. We just need to accept and receive joy. You know, joy is a spiritual gift. Like, it's a gift given to us from God. God wants to give us joy. So what I want us to do, I know we're all a little bit cold and a little bit shivery, and we're going to sort the flipping heating out in this place at some point. But I really believe that God wants to give us some joy tonight. So this isn't going to be like a response where, you know, loads of people cry and, you know, we all hug each other and all. <laughs> like, there's times for that. But I really think this is a time for God to give us joy. So I want you to stand to your feet. Band, don't play anything. Let's keep it quiet for now. We're not going to, you know, play some music to get you in the mood. We're just going to, what we're going to do is we're going to wait on God. All right? And um, I'm going to, the, the gift of joy is, is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of God and God wants to give us good gifts and the Holy Spirit wants to grow and, uh, and cultivate joy in our lives. So I want to ask you if, if you can stay still for this moment, if you need the toilet, then just hold it um, and just wait. Um, but I want to ask you if you can, everybody just close your eyes for me. Everybody close your eyes. Don't be distracted about what's going on around you. And uh, maybe hold your hands out in front of you. It's just a posture of being ready. And I'm going to invite God by his Holy Spirit to, to come and give us, give us joy. Would he put some joy in our lives? So, God, I pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come and move. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to just bring your joy Holy Spirit, we pray for a real sense of joy. Would you deposit the gift of joy in our life? And we're just, we're going to wait and we're going to wait in silence and we're going to see what God wants to do. Maybe you're a person who thinks, yeah, I've been robbed of joy. Now's a moment to say, God, I really need some joy in my life. Jesus, I pray that you would deposit joy in our lives. God, I pray in the midst of some of our difficult circumstances that we might have joy. That joy might be something that we continually come back and, and look to grow in our lives. God, I pray that we will be people who wallow well. Jesus, I pray that we would change our perspective. Jesus, I pray that you would give us joy in who we are and help us to be confident in who you created us to be. God, I pray that we would find the fun. God, I really pray that. I pray this Easter holiday 
would be so fun. God, I pray for a lot of laughs. God, I pray for just some real times where people go home from hanging out with mates and being in the park or wherever and they're just like, oh, I needed that. I needed a good laugh. And Jesus, I pray that we would accept and receive your joy. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.